As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumours of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils, flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses before them, uh, witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it's not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death and father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let, one on, let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their coat. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter. Because those days, those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now. Never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive. If possible, even the, the elect. So be on your guard. I have told you everything in advance. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. So we've got two weeks on chapter 13 of Mark. This week and then next week, uh, I'm going up to verse 27, and then we're finishing it off next week. And it all starts with a comment from one of Jesus' disciples about the temple in Jerusalem. What massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Perhaps you're like this if you go to a big city and you're kind of walking around, perhaps London or, uh, or Manchester, or you're just kind of looking, what, what, look at the size of their coffee shops. Uh, look, look at look, look at the museum. Look, what massive buildings! See, some of the stones it says were nine meters in length. That's a huge, huge structure. 
And uh, we need to see the, the bigness of this imposing structure, this, these buildings. And Jesus says, see all these buildings? They'll be destroyed. So they must have doubted him. They must have said, well, surely not. He can't be right. You know, there are many large shops and companies that if you had told us ten years ago they wouldn't be around today, we wouldn't have believed you. Many, because of the economic climate, aren't around now that you would have thought would have lasted forever. I guess probably the most famous, perhaps, will be Woolworths. If you don't know what Woolworths is, it was a, a shop that was on every high street. And everyone grew up with Woolworths. It, it's just, it was just there. I know Woolworths. Woolworths is the only place I've shoplifted from. <laughs> I, I probably need to uh, just bring some uh, context to that, really. It's not actually that true. Um, when, I, when I was young, my mum... We would always go to Woolworths, because Woolworths was just part of... Uh, you know, it was part of the high street. And uh, as, a, as a young boy, maybe four or five... Uh, Mum, can I have some sweets? I can't remember if the, the answer was yes or no, if I'm really honest, thinking back. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I remember having a pack of Rolos and just popping them into my pocket as a, as a boy. I think she might have even said yes. I just, just without thinking, just put them in my pocket. And we got to the check checkout, and my mum looked down and saw that there was something in my pocket and realised that there was a pack of Rolos in my pocket. And much to her shame, she said, oh, I'm very sorry, my son's just put these in his pocket. I don't know if I did it on purpose or not. I can't remember. I was that young. But, you know, it's just one of those things that happens. Anyway, really just an opportunity to tell that story. Embarrassed my mum, um, who looked very embarrassed in front of the shopkeeper, uh, the, the checkout girl. But if, if, if I'd have said to you, you know, Woolworths won't be around in ten years' time, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have believed me. But get this, what he is saying about the temple is vastly more important than some high street shop. Do you know, symbolism is the presence of God is with us. That's what the people knew. How do, the people would say, how do, we know, how do we know God is with us? The temple, it's where we encounter God. It's where we meet God. So in private, four of his disciples, they come and ask him, you know, when will this be and, and how will it happen? And then we get his response in the rest of chapter 13. It's about judgment, about God's action on evil. His response to men and women's rejection of him, to trust in themselves instead of him. Now, there's some things we need to be aware of as we kind of look through this passage. I'm very over this way, aren't I? Shall I move in the middle? There we go. You know, first, Jesus uses lots of Old Testament imagery and phrases that relate to judgment as we work through this passage, particularly from the book of Daniel and from Isaiah. Sun, moon, and stars. The Son of Man coming in clouds. So it would have been imagery and language that for first century hearers and readers wouldn't have been that difficult as it is for us today who find it a little harder. 
And secondly, we need to see this. Jesus has got two events in his mind here. The judgment and the destruction of the temple, and also the judgment of the world at its end. And it's often described as looking like a mountain range. Can we have that picture up of a mountain range? It's my only slide today. It's a bit like looking at a mountain range, okay? You cannot always tell how far or the distance in between each mountain peak. And as you look straight on, you can just see a mountain range. And it's almost as if in this passage, that's what we're looking at. We're seeing two events, but it's not always so clear which one Jesus is referring to. And in fact, he doesn't actually separate them out. So the problem with this passage is that people may say, well, actually, um, it all applies to the end of the world, and uh, I can make a handy little chart that I can put up and put on the internet and predict when the world will end. You can find lots of that stuff. You know, beware of anyone or any group that has a watertight explanation for everything in the Bible, especially when it comes to things about the end of the world. They know the exact order of things, and hey, they're pretty confident on timings as well. Woe to anyone who disagrees with them. Do you know there's some harder bits in this book that we have to grapple with? The other problem is that saying none of it applies to the end of the world. And then, actually, we miss something that Jesus is saying to us about we, how we live in the light of the world and that it will have an end. It's back to our passage. Jesus first talks about the temple, the Jewish temple, the centre of their worship. The Jewish temple, it's worth noting, was destroyed some 40 years after Jesus in AD 70. Uh, There was a Jewish uprising and the Romans thought, we're not having this. And uh, they kind of really came in hard and uh, squashed it and destroyed the temple at the same time. But Jesus is saying, you know, things will happen. There'll be false messiahs. There'll be wars. There'll be famines. There'll be earthquakes. But actually, these, these are like early contractions of a woman in labor. They're not the real thing. Actually, they come a lot earlier, unless you are... Matthew and Miriam, I can't see. They, they come pretty much, uh, the, the baby comes pretty much shortly after the contractions for their second one um, and makes a mess of your bathroom floor, but there we go. <laughs> but usually they're early contractions. It's not, it's, you know, it's a sign of what's going to come, but it's not that, it's not the real thing yet. There'll be serious persecution against Jesus' followers, he says. And then he refers to the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it doesn't belong. It's a phrase taken from the Old Testament book of Daniel. Do you remember, uh, as we went through, maybe you remember, um, some years ago, working through the book of Daniel? And we haven't got time to go into all that today. It may be a reference to uh, the temple being desecrated by the Romans as they invaded and set up their own gods and the emperor to be worshipped before they destroyed the temple. 
and the destruction of the temple will be a dreadful thing, Jesus says. Flee to the mountains. Don't stop and get your coat. And it was. Historical records tell us that it was a dreadful event. It was a horrible, horrific thing. So why is Jesus saying that the temple is going to have this end? Well, actually, as we saw earlier on in the book of Mark, the temple and its leaders had become outwardly religious, yet inwardly empty. See, it was meant to be about God's glory, but actually it had become about man's glory. We read last week, the leaders would turn up and make a show and, and, and pray lengthy, empty prayers. And they'd want the best places in the temple. Do you think that God is interested in outward religious behaviour without the inner reality? God will rightly judge empty, dead religion. He's looking for inner transformation. He's looking for change within. Only he can do this. That's what happens when we become a Christian. He gives us new life. He gives us a new heart. I'm going to go on and explain a little bit more as we get to the end of this morning about that. So Jesus is answering their question about the destruction of the temple. But actually, taking this... Uh, response in the whole of chapter 13 actually Jesus doesn't separate the temple and its destruction with the final judgment of the world there will be a judgment to come for this world the Bible clearly says there will be a day when Jesus returns and he will return to bring and put things right as Paul was praying and prayed out with such passion this morning He's not coming to transport us off to some cloud to live with him. He's not coming just to kind of lift us out from this corrupt world. No, no, the whole story of the Bible is he's coming and he will bring in a restored creation, a new heaven and earth. And the Bible says that anyone who's received Jesus will be part of that. And God will be present amongst his people for eternity. That's our future. You have a glorious future. Did you know that? Jesus' return is referred to in almost every book of the New Testament. And that Jesus is coming back in judgment is at the heart of our faith. So he goes on to quote from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, and he quotes from chapters 13 and chapters 34. He says, The sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. So firstly, Isaiah 13. God says in Isaiah 13 that he's going to judge the Babylonians for setting themselves up against him. The Babylonians were enemies, invaders of the people of God. And God's saying in chapter 13 of Isaiah, I'm going to judge them for what they've done. 
and their response to me. But then in chapter 34, actually, he says, I'm going to judge all nations because they've all done that. We have all rejected God. And it doesn't take much to look around and see that in the world, either in this country or in others. We see the consequences of human sin. Don't we? But it's always a little harder to see that that's true in your life and in mine. We tend to be a little kinder on ourselves, don't we? Let me use a silly example to uh, explain quite a serious point. On an average week, I use three methods of transportation, three methods of getting around. Walking, cycling, and driving. Do you know, when I'm walking, I often find myself judging the silly and sometimes dangerous actions of both drivers and cyclists. When I'm cycling, I find that I'm often judging the silly and sometimes dangerous actions of walkers and drivers. And you know, when I'm driving, I often find myself judging the silly and sometimes dangerous actions of walkers and cyclists. But rarely do I see those actions in me. And that is not because I'm an ideal cyclist, walker, or driver. If you've seen me doing any of those things, you might agree. I prefer seeing wrongdoing in others, not in me. But when we look, when we truly look in our own lives, we see we deserve God's judgment. Actually, we realize all of us have turned ourselves against God. Actually, in God's righteous judgment, we all fall short. And his action on my evil will be right. But thank God, the good news of Christ doesn't end there. Do you know, in his love, God chose to step in. And in Christ, he chose to live a perfect life that I couldn't live and die for me and you. All that disobedience, all that failure was dealt with on the cross when he died and now he invites you and I to come and receive forgiveness. So have you done that? I want to ask you, have you done that? Or have you thought becoming a Christian meant living as good as possible and hopefully, if I, hopefully if you've done enough, God will forgive you when you die. Fingers crossed. No, no, Jesus took on the judgment that we deserved. God's action on our evil was taken by Jesus on the cross. Do you know the truth for anyone who is a Christian, anyone who has accepted Jesus, is this. I am more wicked than I could ever possibly imagine. And yet, at the same time, I am more loved and put right 
than I ever could possibly imagine. That's the good news. So Jesus deals with our punishment, the punishment we deserved. But he also changes us to live differently. This is really, really important. Receiving this forgiveness, receiving Jesus, you know, this is the opposite of what was happening at the temple and what it had become. Remember, outward behavior, no inner reality. Actually, Jesus changes us from within, inner transformation. Actually, coming to Jesus means he gives us a new heart. He replaces our sinful heart with one that seeks after him instead. And before I finish this morning, what I want us to do is just to look at three areas where we are transformed from the inside. Three areas in this passage. The first is this, opposition. See, there's an expectation in this passage that in the Christian life, you will experience opposition. Jesus says you'll be handed over to the local councils, flogged in the synagogues. He says you'll be arrested, brought to trial. And do you know, if you read this in the light of the experience of many Christians today in the Middle East, in parts of Eritrea and other parts of Africa, it's not very dissimilar. You know, we thank God for the freedoms we have in this country, but hey, let's not take them for granted. And living in this country will mean you experience opposition for following Jesus. But what an encouragement it must have been to them. Do you know, when Christians were brought to trial, they weren't to worry, Jesus says, about what to say because the Holy Spirit would be with them. That is his promise to you and I. He is with us. The Holy Spirit is with us in times of opposition. Do you know, perhaps you are facing opposition right now at school. Perhaps in your workplace. Perhaps being a Christian in those places has a serious cost right now for you. The Holy Spirit is with you and is with me in those situations. See, yes, we wait for Jesus' return, but it's, his absence isn't total. Actually, at the same time, he is present with us by the Spirit. What a privilege that is, and that's all of life. Listen, just think for one moment. Perhaps that thing you're going through right now. Where you're tempted to worry. Where you're tempted to think, where is God with me in this? He's with you. In that situation. In that place. In those circumstances where you're facing opposition for following him. He's with you. Secondly, don't be deceived. 
He's not wanting them to be deceived by people claiming to speak for him or even claiming to be him. You know, in our voice, in our day, there will be voices where people say, "Well, I know the Bible says X, but you know, really, I think God would really think Y." Um, or, you know, the Bible may say A, but actually today, no one thinks that. We all think B. Or, actually, we have some new revelation, and we don't need the Bible anymore. Actually, that's old news to us. We have this new revelation, special revelation, that only special people really can get. That's rubbish. You know, it's usually the person of Jesus that gets challenged in those types of situations as well. It's usually attack on who Jesus is. Listen, let's, let's, let Scripture tell us who Jesus is. Let's use this to weigh up who we know Jesus is. Do you know, and, and, and through, through reading this word, I can know what God's like. I can know who Jesus is. I can know about how he wants me to be. I love what Helen brought to us about the, the, the Bible. You know, this, this is meant to be read. And it's meant to be read by normal people like you and me. Do you know, even more than hearing some clever New Testament professor say something about the Bible, I love it even more when a new Christian says, do you know, I was reading the Bible, and do you know, God's like this. So I love that. This is, it's, this is meant to be read by you and me. It's for life, for you and me. Finally, live now in the light of the future. What do I mean by that? Well, actually, the disciples asked the wrong question at the beginning, really, because they said, well, when will, the, when will this be, and, and, and how will it happen? Well, actually, maybe the answer should have been, well, how should we live in the light of that? What should we do? So I always remember someone having a tea mug at work, and uh, on the mug... It said, Jesus is coming. Look busy. Has anyone seen those types of things? Jesus is returning. Look busy. You know, Jesus will one day return. But our response isn't, Jesus is coming. Everyone behave and keep the rules. As I think that cup suggests. Actually, no, Jesus is coming, and now my life and your life is wrapped up in that future too. And so how I live now counts for something. It has eternal significance. Your life and the decisions you make now have eternal significance. And the danger is we restrict that just too well. That's that's just about what I might want to do in life uh, or uh, the place I might live. Yeah, that's important, but it's also the everyday stuff of life. Listen, this is what it says in Titus 2. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. That means that our Our everyday lives, sometimes even when they seem dull, those decisions 
and situations have an eternal dimension to them. How we choose to respond to someone who's really winding us up. What we choose to look at on the internet or on the TV. What we do with our resources and with our time and our money. They have eternal significance. And listen to this. As a community together, as a people, as a church, we are called into God's work of bringing what will be in the future into the present. We're called to see the kingdom of God advanced in lives and communities, even though that kingdom won't fully come until the end. We're called to be a sign of the kingdom, a living sign. This is... um, I'm going to finish with this quote. Um, This is a quote from uh, an American uh, guy called Ed Stetzer. And he says this, You know, no church sign can attract the world's attention like a church whose life is a sign of the kingdom. I love that. What should our sign be to those around us in Teesside? Can I repeat that? Okay, yeah. No church sign can attract the world's attention like a church whose life is a sign of the kingdom. We could put up a lovely sign outside Melbourne House or outside here. You know, the sign is our lives together, advancing the kingdom. It tells of who he is. So there you go. There'll be judgment for this world, but Christ has dealt with our punishment at the cross for whoever accepts him and he will bring about a restored creation and this transforming life that he puts in us enables us to endure opposition to guard our hearts from being deceived and to live out this new creation and life right now with all its eternal significance do you know what i want us to end by worshiping together and i want us to end with this That God, the Holy Spirit, is with you and I. How do we be this kingdom-advancing community together? Actually, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit with us, moving us out and into all he has for us. Could the band come up? And I want us to finish in worship. And I want us to, let's just pray before they come. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. Thank you that you will one day return. You will one day return and put all things right. And you will dwell with your people forever. But thank you right now we can know that you dwell with us by the Holy Spirit that he is with us, amongst us, reminding us of you, empowering us and enabling us to the work you've called us to, and to know you more. 
And I do want to just pray right now for individuals in work situations, school situations, family situations. Do you know the word to Jesus' disciples was, do not worry. That means do not worry. Because the Spirit is with you. You may not know the things to say. You may not know the right things to say. But he is with you by the Spirit. And thank you you're with us as a community together by the Spirit. Calling us to all you have called us to. Advancing and being a sign of your coming kingdom. And of the kingdom breaking out and advancing right now in this place. And we say, advance your kingdom right across Teesside, right across this nation, in nation after nation. Let your kingdom advance. Amen. I want us, as we sing this song, I want it to be almost as a prophetic statement.